This morning, the scripture I'm reading from Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You may be seated. Good morning. I don't know about you, but I think that what we're doing here today is what I needed more than anything else. To spend time and worship to our God, a God who is holy, a God who is good, and a God who is worthy, despite the difficulties and the suffering that we go through individually or the difficulties and suffering that we go through as a group. I'm thankful for you. I love you. And I'm thankful for this time that we're able to spend in worship today. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Exodus, the second chapter. Exodus chapter 2, and today we're going to be studying in verses 23 through 25. If you don't have your Bible with you, we're going to leave this slide up on the screen as we study together today. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. If you happen to pick up a bulletin, or if you have one of the sermon outlines that we print out, perhaps you've noticed that we've changed our plans just a little bit. We were planning to talk about something else. We were planning to study in a different section of Scripture, a different passage of God's Word. Our plan was to continue our sermon series that we've been involved in for the past couple of months. Our plan was to continue talking about passion and how we can build our passion for God, how the fire in our hearts for Jesus can burn brighter and hotter on a daily basis. We're going to serve, save that sermon for another time. And I think that you know why. Just a couple of days ago, as a community and as a church family, we experienced such a great difficulty that it's hard to even put into words. As a community, as a church family, as individuals, we've all been impacted by the events of Friday evening. People lost their jobs, people lost their businesses, people who we know and love lost their homes, and even beyond that, people lost their lives. People died in the events that took place on Friday evening, a storm or a tornado that broke records in strength and duration and has left us all speechless. A tragedy that has left us in dust and ashes where we really aren't sure what to say and we really aren't sure what to do. But this morning, as we study God's Word together, I think we need to recognize that we have an awesome opportunity. 
This morning we have an awesome opportunity as we open up God's Word because we're giving Him a chance to speak into this situation. We're giving God a chance to address the difficulty and the pain and the suffering that we've been through over the last couple of days. What do you think God would say if He were here right now, which He is, but if He were the one standing up here, if, if He were the one presenting, if He were the one talking, what do you think He would say in response to what we've been dealing with over the last couple of days? What do you think God would want us to know as we drive down the road and we see businesses and houses that have been there for so long now laying in shambles. As we read on social media, as we read news articles, as we watch it on TV, all the details of what unfolded on Friday evening. As we think about the suffering, not just in our own personal lives, but the suffering of people who we love, the difficulty that they're going through. As we're assembled here today to worship a holy God, a God who is worthy, but yet the pain still weighs so heavily on our hearts. It still weighs so heavily on our minds. It still weighs so heavily on our shoulders. What do you think God would say? What do you think God would want us to know if He were the one speaking? This morning, I'm not claiming to know the mind of God. I'm not claiming to know that I know exactly what God would say. I know exactly how God would meet this situation, but I think when we go to Exodus, the second chapter, and we look at these three verses that close out that chapter, I don't think we have to guess. I don't think it's a probability about something that he would say, something that he would want us to know. I think God would want us to know. I think God would want to say today in response to what we've experienced that he is present. God wants us to know we find it time and time again in Scripture. We find it in this text as we're going to walk throughout these three verses together. God wants us to know. God wants to communicate to us that He's here. He's present in our lives. He is attentive to our needs. He is attentive to the suffering that we go through. I think that's what He wanted the Israelites to know as they were in Egypt in Exodus chapter 2. And I think it's what He would want us to know as we continue to experience great difficulty in our lives, in our community, and in our church family. Let's think about the Israelites for just a second. What is the difficulty that they're going through in Exodus chapter 2? What is it that they're suffering? What is causing pain? What is causing hardship in their lives? If you're familiar with the book of Exodus, in Exodus 1 and Exodus chapter 2, the Israelites are in slavery in the land of Egypt. They're working as slaves. They're working as servants under the very arrogant and the very hard hand of the king, Pharaoh. If you jump back just a little bit, if you have your Bibles open, if you jump back to Exodus chapter 1 and the first part of verse 11, you see how difficult this slavery was on the Israelites. The Bible says, therefore they, talking about the Egyptians, set taskmasters over them, watch this part, to afflict them with heavy burdens. When we look at the Israelites in Exodus 1 and Exodus 2, here's a group of people who have been afflicted. Here's a group of people who are suffering. Here's a group of people who are carrying very heavy burdens as a result of their slavery. Skip down just a couple of verses. Exodus 1, verses 13 and 14. The Bible says that they, the Egyptians, ruthlessly, 
made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field and all their work. They ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Here's a group of people who are being treated ruthlessly. Pharaoh is not letting up. They're being treated unmercifully. If you look in verse number 14, their lives were bitter. Their lives were hard because they were going through such hard service. And then skip down to verse 16 in the same chapter. To cap it all off, of course, the Hebrew midwives didn't do it. But notice what Pharaoh wanted them to do. The suffering that he wanted to bring on the Israelites. Verse 16, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. Now, they didn't do it. But imagine if they would have. Imagine the death. Imagine the tragedy. Imagine the difficulty if Pharaoh's words and his intentions would have been carried out. As we look at Exodus 1 and 2, we see a group of people, in fact, God's people, who were suffering greatly, who were going through great difficulty. They're afflicted with very heavy burdens. When we think about how the Israelites were suffering, Perhaps it makes us reflect on how we're suffering. When we think about the difficulty that the Israelites are going through as a group, perhaps it makes us think about and reflect on the difficulties that we're going through as a group. I think in some ways we see a mirror. We see a reflection of our own situation in this passage of Scripture. Here we are as a group. Going through such great difficulty. Going back to verse 11, when the Bible says that the Israelites were afflicted with very heavy burdens, are you there right now? Do you think our community is there right now? Do you think our church family is there right now where we have been afflicted and we're carrying around on our shoulders very heavy burdens? As a community in Mayfield, as a church family at Seven Oaks, as individuals within our own families, we have experienced such great difficulty, such great suffering and destruction and tragedy. How should we respond to that? When we think about the destruction and the tragedy and the suffering that we find ourselves going through, how should we respond? What should we do? We'll go to this passage in Exodus, the second chapter. What did the Israelites do? How did they respond to their suffering? If you pick up in verse 23, it says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. Here they are sighing deeply as a result of the pain and the oppression that their slavery is bringing upon them. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody gave you some bad news and you really couldn't say anything in response? You, you really didn't know what to say because it was such bad news. All that you could respond with was a groan. All that you could respond with is a sigh. Oh, it's so terrible. That's where the Israelites are. When you think about their suffering, when you think about their oppression, when you think about their difficulty, they are groaning within themselves. They're experiencing so much inward pain because of the outward difficulty that Pharaoh was bringing upon them. But notice, that's not the only thing that they did. The Bible says in verse 23 that they certainly groaned because of their slavery, but then they also cried out for help, and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Here we have a group of people, God's people, who are suffering, and they're not just groaning. They're not just wallowing in their own self-pity or wallowing in their own pain. Here they are crying out to God for help, 
crying out for his rescue, crying out for his deliverance, crying out for his salvation. You know why they did it? Because they recognized God was the only one who could give them the help that they needed. They realized that God was the only one who could save them. They're not going to get out of their oppression. They're not going to escape this suffering by their own power or by their own goodness or by their own authority. They recognize God is the only one who can do it. God is the only one who can give us the help that we need. So as they groan, as they go through pain, they're appealing to God for help, appealing for His rescue, appealing for His deliverance in this situation. When we think about the suffering of the Israelites, perhaps it makes us think about our own suffering. Whenever we think about how the Israelites responded to their suffering, I think it's a good pattern, don't you? I think it's an example. Certainly, what we've experienced since Friday evening causes us to groan. It causes us to sigh. Maybe you've cried over the last few days. Maybe it's been that one thought that's been constantly running through your mind. Maybe you know someone who has experienced such great difficulty or maybe you're experiencing that yourself and it's something that's so hard to deal with on a daily basis. But as we think about the tragedy that we've experienced, the storm, the tornado that came through, if we're going to respond in the way that this text talks about, it's not just about groaning. It's not just about crying. It's not just about sighing. But it's in the midst of that crying out to God for help. Do we recognize that He's the only one who can give us the help that we need? Do we recognize that He's the only one who can provide the deliverance and the rescue and the salvation that we're all searching for, that we're all longing for? I love how Paul bears that out. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, in verse number six, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Wait, what did you just say, Paul? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Are you anxious? Are you anxious about what's happened in Mayfield? Are you anxious about how it's going to impact your life? Are you anxious about how the events of Friday evening are going to impact this for years to come in the future? Paul says don't be anxious about anything. That means don't be anxious about things that happened in the past. That means don't be anxious about things that are happening in the present. That means don't be anxious about things that are going to happen in the future. He says instead of being anxious about everything, talk to God. Cry out to Him for help. Recognize that He's the only one who can give the help. He's the only one who can give the deliverance and the rescue that we long for. So what do we do? We make our request known to Him with thanksgiving and petition. I see Israel's suffering in Exodus 2 makes me think about my own. makes me think about yours. And when I see how they responded, I recognize that this is a pattern for how we should respond. Not just groaning, not just wallowing in our own self-pity, but seeking God's help. Seeking His rescue. Because He's the only one who can give us what we're searching for. But now let's think about God. Let's get back to that main point that we introduced just a minute ago. If God were here, what do you think He would say? What do you think God would want us to know as we groan and as we cry out to Him for help? How do you think God would respond to the tragedy that we're going to experience for weeks and months, even years to come? I love verses 24 and 25. I think there's four powerful ideas there that not only encourage and comfort us, but they motivate us to serve God, to fall deeper in love with Him, 
and to serve other people. What did God want Israel to know in the midst of their suffering? Look at verse 24. Number one, He wanted them to know that He heard their groaning. God wanted Israel to know that He heard their sighs. He heard their pain. He heard their prayers. Whenever they cried to God for help, He listened. He heard them. Isn't that an amazing thought? Here's the Creator of all things. Here's the God who is present everywhere. Here's the God who knows everything. Here's the God who can do anything that even beyond our imagination. And as He sits on His throne of glory and holiness, as the Israelites are suffering and they cry out to Him, God hears it. God listens. He didn't turn a deaf ear to His people. He didn't ignore His people. He wanted them to know, I hear you. I'm listening to you in the midst of your pain. Did you know that that made a lasting impact on Israel? If you look at the context of Exodus chapter 2, the first part of the chapter, the majority of the chapter is about the birth of Moses. So here when these events unfold, Moses has just been born. He's a child. Now, fast forward to Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter, verses 6 and 7. Now Moses is 120 years old. He's led the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness. They're at the border of the promised land. You remember what he said in Deuteronomy 26? He says, the Egyptians treated us harshly, reflecting back, and humiliated and laid on us hard labor. But we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. That's what we just saw in Exodus 2. The people of Israel were suffering. The people of God were going through difficulty. And so they're crying out to God for help. And what did Moses remember about that? What made the difference? Verse 7, the Lord heard our voice. Even 120 years later, Moses looks back on this circumstance in Exodus 2 and says, God heard us. He heard our cries to Him for help. God wanted them to know, I hear you. I hear your prayers. I hear your cries. I hear your groaning. I think today, God would want us to know the same thing. God hears us. Scripture bears witness to the fact that He hears our prayers. I think about 1 John, the 5th chapter and verse number 14, where He says this is the confidence. Notice this is not a, a maybe. This is not a probably. This is not, I think it's this way. This is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Whenever we bow in prayer, Whenever we bow our heads and we talk to God in Jesus' name, He listens to us. Isn't that amazing to think about? But it's not just that. It's not just that God listens to us whenever we pray. It's not just that God listens to us when we bow our heads and pray in Jesus' name. Just like in Exodus 2, God hears our groaning. God hears our sighs. He hears our weeping. That's what David says. In Psalms, the 6th chapter, in verse number 8, David confidently states, the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. Oftentimes, whenever we weep, we want to be alone. And we don't want anybody to see that, and we make sure that we're secluded. God hears it. God sees it. The Lord doesn't just hear our prayers, but even hears the sounds of our weeping. Number one, I think God would want us to know, I hear you. I'm listening to you. Number two, look at verse, verse number 24 again. The Israel, God wanted the Israelites to know in the midst of their suffering 
that God remembered His covenant. God remembered the covenant that He had made with Abraham, that He had made with Isaac, that He had made with Jacob. That goes all the way back to passages of Scripture like Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, where God said to Abraham, Know for certain. That's a key phrase when it comes to God's covenant, when it comes to God's promises. When God makes a promise, it's something that we can know for certain. And we see that with Abraham. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs, and they'll be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. Well, there's, there's that playing out in Exodus, the second chapter. But then verse 14, here's the promise. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. God made a promise. God made a covenant with Abraham that was passed on to his son Isaac. He made a covenant with Isaac that was passed on to his son Jacob, who was also named Israel, who had 12 sons, who ultimately became the 12 tribes of Israel. God wants them to know, I remember the promises that I've made to you. I haven't forgotten it. It hasn't left my mind. When the text says that God remembered His covenant, it's not saying that He forgot it and His memory needed to be jogged. What it is saying is that He's going to be faithful to it. He's going to be faithful to the covenant and promises that He's made with His people. That's what He wanted Israel to know in Exodus chapter 2. I remember the promises that I've made. I remember the covenant that I've formed with you. And I'm going to be faithful to it. You think God would want us to know the same thing? You think God would want to say the same thing to us as Christians? God has made a covenant with us that's better than any covenant we find in the Old Testament. He's made a covenant with us that is founded on the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And in that covenant, God has made so many different promises to us. I think about the promises that He's made for us in this life. I'm, perhaps you're familiar with Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28 where Paul says, we know. Notice the confidence in that. In so many scriptures we've read, it's not I think, it's not maybe this is the case. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Listen, God promises it might look bad right now. It might be difficult right now. But listen to what I'm telling you. If you love me, I'm going to work it together for good. It might be bad right now, but you remain dedicated to me, God says. He promises, I will produce a positive outcome. Do you trust that? Do you trust that in the situation that we find ourselves in here? And what's so amazing about God is that He didn't make promises that are just about this life. I live several decades on this earth and then the promises of God are gone. That's not the case. If you go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Jesus makes a promise to us about eternity where he says, be faithful unto death, and I'll what? I'll give you the crown of life. Jesus says, be faithful to me, remain faithful to me until the day that you die, and I'll give you the life crown. You'll be able to live in eternity with me. When you look at God's covenant, when you look at God's promises, a tornado can't take that away. A storm can't cause that to be destroyed. That's something that we can rely on. That's something we can be confident in. That's something that we can trust in regardless of what our lives look like. God remembers His covenant. He remembers His promises. And He's going to be faithful too. I think He'd want us to know that today. Look at verse number 25. Number three, God wanted the people of Israel to know that He saw them. The text says that God saw 
the people of Israel. We already saw that he heard with his ears. He remembered in his mind. But here he saw the people of Israel. He saw the difficulty. He saw the trials that they were going through. God didn't turn a blind eye in Exodus 2. God didn't cover up his eyes and pretend as if it wasn't happening in Exodus chapter 2. He saw what they were going through. You know, we mentioned Deuteronomy 26, verses 6 and 7 just a few minutes ago, where 120 years later, Moses said, we cried out to God and he heard us. If you keep reading in verse number 7 there, the Bible says that the Lord heard our voice, we saw that, but then he saw our affliction. He saw our toil. He saw our oppression. Moses, 120 years later, remembers God saw us. He saw what we were going through. He saw how we were oppressed. He saw how we were afflicted with very heavy burdens. God wanted the people of Israel to know that He saw them. It wasn't beyond His sight. As He sat on His throne in heaven, He saw the difficulty. I think He'd want us to know the same thing. I think He'd want to communicate the same message to us that God sees us in the midst of this tragedy. God doesn't turn a blind eye to us in the midst of this tragedy. Throughout Scripture, that's so heavily emphasized. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 13, Hagar calls God a God of seeing. In in Psalms 11 and verse 14, the Bible simply says, His eyes see. I love Psalm, the 33rd chapter, in verses 13 through 15. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. Where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Four times in just two verses. God looks. God sees. God looks out. God observes. The one who created the universe. The one who created us. The one who has all power and all authority sees the difficulty that we're going through here in Mayfield, Kentucky. I think God would want us to know that. I think God would want to remind us of that. He says, I see what you're going through. And then number four, at the end of verse 25, that last little note there, God wanted the people of Israel to know that He knew. He wanted the people of Israel to know that He knew exactly what they were going through. He knew all the details. He knew the big picture. He knew what they were going through collectively as a group. And he knew what each individual person was going through as an individual. God wasn't ignorant in this situation. This wasn't a news flash to him. When the Israelites cried out for help, God knew what his people were suffering. He knew what his people were going through. And he wanted them to know that. I think he would want us to know that too. It's not just that he hears or that he remembers or that he sees, but God knows. God knows what we're going through as individuals. He knows what we're going through collectively. He knows the whole picture. He knows how this is going to turn out. And he knows exactly what we need. I love how Jesus talks about that in Matthew, the 10th chapter. If you look at verse 29, Jesus asks a question, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Back in this time, back in the New Testament world, sparrows were very insignificant. You could buy two of them for a penny. Now you can't even buy two sticks of gum for a penny, right? That's how insignificant sparrows were back in the New Testament world. He says, I want you to think about it. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Sparrows are viewed as being so insignificant in the New Testament world, but Jesus points out not one of them is going to fall to the ground, not one of them is going to hurt without God knowing about it. Well, Jesus, are you just making a point about sparrows and how God knows what they're going through? Well, no, read the next verse in verse 30. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. If God knows the number of hairs on your head, you think He knows what you're feeling? Do you think He knows how you're suffering? Do you think He knows the difficulty in your life? If God take all of us combined and tell us the number of hairs on all of our heads, do you think He knows what we're going through as a group? And that's the point that Jesus is making. He says in the next verse, verse 31, Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Look at that argument. Jesus says, here's two sparrows. You can buy them for one penny. But not one of them is going to fall down to the ground and be hurt without God knowing about it. Now realize how precious you are to God. Realize how much God values you. You're a lot more valuable than a sparrow. So what is Jesus saying? If a sparrow, an insignificant bird, falls to the ground and God knows about it, do you think God's going to know when you suffer? Do you think God's going to know when you hurt? Do you think God's going to know when you're stressed out, when you're anxious, when you're worried about fill in the blank? That's why Jesus says, fear not. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Are you afraid? As a result of the events on Friday evening, do you have fear? Are you afraid? Jesus says, don't be afraid. Recognize how valuable you are to God and realize, as we oftentimes sing, Jesus knows all about our troubles and He will guide till the day is done. I think that's a message that God would want us to hear today. What do you think God would say? What would God want us to know as a result of the difficulty that we've experienced as a community, as a church family, as individuals? I don't think we've covered every single base. I don't even think we've scratched the surface. But I think this might be a good place to begin. God looks at our situation and He says, I hear you. I hear your prayers. I hear your cries. He looks at our situation and He says, I remember. I remember the promises that I've made to you. We don't have to remind God about that. Because He remembers them. He knows them. He's going to be faithful to them. God looks at our situation and says, I see you. I see what you're going through. I see the difficulties in your life. He looks at us and says, I know. I know exactly what you're going through. Isn't it awesome to know? This was what was running through my mind as we took the Lord's Supper together and we thought about Jesus. Isn't it awesome to know that Jesus was tempted in all aspects as we are, yet without sin? Isn't it awesome to know that we have a faithful high priest who knows what it's like to hurt, who knows what it's like to cry, who knows just how difficult life can be? God, through Jesus, looks at us and says, I know what it feels like. When you ever, whenever you continue to read the book of Exodus, do you know what happens? God acts. He responds to their pain and their difficulty in powerful ways. Do you think we can anticipate that? God hears. God remembers. God sees. And God knows. And I think we can anticipate His action. 
I think we can anticipate him doing some amazing things, especially through the hands of his people here at Seven Oaks. So where are you right now? Coming out of Friday, where are you spiritually? Maybe it's made you think about some things. Maybe it's made you think about your relationship with God, and and as you sit here today, you realize, I'm just not where I need to be. I'm not living the life that I know I should be living. God knows. He knows your suffering. He knows your place in life. He knows what you're going through. We would love to know that too. The reason that we're here today, I think one of the main purposes is not just to worship God, but to encourage one another. We can't encourage you. We can't help you. We can't serve you if we don't know what you're going through. So if you'd like to make that known, if you'd like for us to pray for you, to serve you, to love you in any way that we can, we'd love to do that as together we stand and sing.